see what happens when you have dogs and cats living together. They're usually planning for the Great Revolution. <laughs> I was thinking more mass hysteria, bud. Uh, I, I for one, welcome our feline overlords. I don't want them. I love the felines. I do too. I, I think they would do a much on your better job than we're doing. I don't think Dave was talking about the felines you guys are talking about. Yeah. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're sparkling officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello and welcome. What? Nobody wants to interrupt? See, look, I just interrupted myself. All right. Bilius Interruptus. Meep, meep. <laughs> meep, meep you. Promises, promises. <laughs> I didn't get a meep out of you. Meep. <laughs> meep, meep, meep. Is this an Acme podcast? I'm just curious. Hello and welcome to Listen to the Prophets. I was going to say that's a stupid question, but nobody's asked a question yet. So there goes that joke for the episode. So you just... You you preemptively ruined it. Yes, that's yes. I I am uh, Admiral Robinson. So here's to you, Admiral Robinson. That was my lovely assistant, Andrew. I am a lovely assistant. Yes, you will be. Uh, oh, I can't remember her name. The lovely uh, Debbie McGee. Oh, no, he'll be Lauren, the one that throws herself at everybody. Oh and, yeah, uh, in, in in this wacky show that we're about to watch. Yes, yes. Uh, and too bad Paul can't be Serena. Quiet. And I think there's uh, where's where's uh, where's Jack? Captain Cook. Jack or Dave? Dave is playing the role of Jack. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to be Morn in this one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, usually Paul would be Jack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was Captain Cook? Was Captain Cook? Okay. Focus, focus, people. Or I'll give you all surgeries and fix you. Okay. Ah, so. Today we are talking about Deep Space Nine, which is what our episode for this time is Chrysalis. In a medical miracle, she's trapped inside her own mind. This could free her. Cure Bashir's lonely heart. She's a woman I've been waiting for all my life. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. In season seven. Ah, season seven, we are moving moving along quickly or slowly depending on how you want to look at it I'd like your introduction mm. <laughs> life on the razor's edge here <clears throat> so how are all you uh, how are all you uh, genetically enhanced podcasters doing I am genetically enhanced in such a way as to be indistinguishable from a normal human no, no, well said I've, well I've seen you so <clears throat> You've seen me after you force fed me grits. <laughs> hey, you like those grits. 
Uh, hey, at least you said you like this, Chris. <laughs> I doesn't mean I want any more. Grits are good. Were they instant grits? No, we want the Cracker Barrel. Oh, Cracker Barrel's great. I do love yes. Cracker Barrel. I like to play a little about. game with yeah. the uh, stick on the table. The pegs, the peg game. The peg game, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yes. Bill took us to Cracker Barrel. And at the time, I don't know if you're just being polite, you said it was one of the most well-priced restaurants in Orlando. And it was. That's, it was It was very well-priced. It was very reasonably priced. For Orlando, it is. What did you... What did you think of the decor? Oh, I liked it. I right. thought it was it was very homey. Yep. Did you sit on a rocking chair? We did, we have a picture of me, Bill, and Ben sat on a rocking chair. Not, not together. Not the same one, right? No, no, three no. different rocking chairs. Like old men on a porch. <clears throat> well, apart from Ben, yeah. Well, yeah. No, Ben is he, an old soul. Yeah, that's what Ben says. I'm an old soul. He gets up, he's like, oh, my back, my knees. I'm like, shut up. Stop it. At the time, he was only like 16 or 17. Oh, actually, I don't know. It has been quite a while since you've been here, Andy. About two years? Three yeah. years? Yeah. So, but enough about reminiscing. Um, how? Yes. Do no, have, let's, let's keep reminiscing. Do we have any new Star Trek news? Do we have any new old Star Trek news? Uh, I do. No? Uh, Picard finished. Oh, yes, it will have finished by now. It will have finished by now, yes. Actually, we're six episodes into it as we record this, but Bill has not seen episode six yet, so we cannot discuss any uh, any of the major ramification held therein. But did you both see the last episode? Yes. Did you Did you enjoy seeing Seven of Nine again? I actually did. I thought she was exceptional. Yes. I did, did, any of you, did any of you guys remember Ichbed? Ichem. Yeah, that's him. Because I did not, apart from I vaguely remember him from a Q episode where he said he'd wrote a thesis on Captain Kirk. Hmm. And I believe, was he the same actor? I believe so. Right. Hard to tell under the the, uh, the gory hmm. makeup. So that was that was quite a nice callback for Voyager fans. Maybe was, I don't killed wasn't so pleasant for them, I don't know. That wasn't the same actor that played Bruce Maddox that I... In the, it was uh, not. It was not the same actor that played Bruce Maddox. No, is is it? I I didn't look it up. Um, was is the original actor not with us anymore? Perhaps no, or? he's he's still around. I have no idea why they didn't use him. Hmm. Okay, <laughs> excuse me. I have no uh, idea why they didn't use the original actor, especially seeing as they've used the original actor for Ichbed. Ichbed. I can't Ichab. say. Ichab. Ichab. They've used the same actor, obviously, for um, Seven. They've brought the same actor back for um, Hugh. Mm-hmm. So it does seem a tad curious that they didn't bring back the actual Bruce Maddox. But mm. Maybe he didn't want to do, do it as far as he was only in that one episode, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's it. He was in one episode 30 years ago. Right. And the guy that they cast could certainly pass for him 30-odd years later. But yeah. Yeah, aged, aged him up, put a beard on him. And, yeah, I just I was just curious as to why they didn't use the same actor, but I've not been able I. to find out why. But I wasn't curious enough to like really look it up. So I did I did a cursory Google search, and that was about it. Mm. Well, I have a bit of well, not Star Trek news. I had a horrible, horrible Star Trek dream. Yes, you did. <laughs> Your Star Trek dreams are awesome. So much well, so that I ha- once again had to wake up in the middle of the night and text Andy. And going back and reading some of our uh, other texts, uh, 
obviously I can't see in the middle of the night without glasses while I'm typing because some of those uh, you're probably like, what language is he speaking? <laughs> so I, I can make sense of them. They're more articulate than the average Twitter post. So <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> I meant misspelling words on purpose just to be kitschy. So, uh, so in my Star Trek dream, I have come up with a possible explanation for the origins of Guinan's people. Um, because in my dream, it was in a the mirror universe. Uh, I didn't have time to reread the whole post. I remember. See, I I wake up and I text Andy because I often forget all the information later. So I wake up, I text everything, and I go back to bed. And it's normally perfectly timed for me getting up to go to work. <laughs> yes, because you're because I usually wake up about two or three in the morning and you're already up and up and running. So um, I like I said, I didn't have time to reread it before we got on here. But um, from what I remember, unless you can read it, Andy, uh, do you want me to? Yeah, okay. sure. Uh, the point of view character, or me, or Bill, was recreated by Guinan's race to protect a young child from the Q. So how does an average person fight Q? These were fallen Q, removed from the collective, whose only way back to the power was to perform monstrous acts to amuse the collective. Some time ago, or some wins ago, should that be wins or times? Anyway, some weeks eons, ago, eons. All eons. right, some eons ago, had refused to fight and retreated to a planet, and with the humanoids on that world, sired the Al Alurian race, or Guinan's people, which Alurian, Alurian, thank you, yeah. which oddly enough would be a good way to financially explain, financially explain, financially. <laughs> retroactively which would be a good way to retroactively explain why Q reacted to her in the episode they'd introduced the Borg she was his offspring but I digress oh recruited you meant to type recruited right I was recruited by the Alurians to fight the devolved Qs in reality though the A was no better than the Q and would hide his and would hide this and manipulate lesser races and feed off them psychically and physically the Q would monitor the fallen Q and keep them alive indefinitely to keep fighting making almost zombie like but they had no release. No matter how gruesome or final the deaths, they were always brought back. And A was smitten with me and showed me the truth of the A as she bathed in a pool of, uh, well, you can guess what it was. Soylent green, people. See why I'm up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's because what I was getting at was in the first introduction, well, the first time that Guinan meets Q, Q looks at her and says, oh, you know, this abomination, but he was calling her an abomination because... Technically, they, she was some type of offspring yeah. to the cube because they never really explained in Star Trek why the two of them had such a visceral reaction. Now, my dream took place in a, the dark mirror universe. So that's but the still but it still holds true that they were following Q and sired the Alurian race in both universes. But in one universe, obviously, it's a dark universe and they go bad. So that was my whole Star Trek uh the sick things I wake up in the middle of the night with. And then what? The next night I had a dream about cats or something. No, the next night you were Ben Affleck as Daredevil. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> which I thought was quite a contrast for you. <laughs> right, but then I was laying there and the cat was next to me and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, that was a good dream. So, Okay, that was a much nicer dream. Because I got to hang out with Jennifer Gardner. <laughs> Yeah, but knowing your luck, it was finalizing divorce proceedings. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's enough about my my 
sick Star Trek dreams. Oh, that's right. I was up because I was wide awake because it was like a, a the movie Event Horizon type gore and horror, and that's why I was like, "Wow, I'm wide awake for the next hour or so. <laughs> Might as well just text Andy. Nothing else to do." Yeah. <laughs> we'll make sure Andy's <laughs> equally disturbed right now. <laughs> no, I, I quite enjoy hearing Bill's dreams because I don't remember mine at all. And plus, it makes you feel more sane. Yes. <laughs> What are you trying to say? That that does help. Yes. <laughs> Andy's my dream therapist. <laughs> yeah, normally my therapy consists of saying, Jesus, Phil, you're insane. <laughs> what do you eat? Thank God there's an ocean. <laughs> do, you, do you eat, do you eat cheese you before you go to bed? Thank I'll God there's it. an ocean in between us. <laughs> Or else I'll be coming over at 2 in the morning. Andy, I had another dream. That would be even funnier. That could be a sitcom. (laughs) And then then you go into the whole thing about what the dream was about. That's what the show is. It just starts with, Andy, Andy. That's the pre-credit sequence every week. (laughs) And then, then you come back to the show, and the whole show is just a dream. And then the last commercial break, you come back. All right, I'm going back to bed. And See, the it. plus that's side of this true. is we would get paid to be series stars, but only be in the teaser and the tag. Because <laughs> every week, obviously, it would be a different cast, wouldn't it? Playing oh, you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so oh, we get see, all the money and all the glory and only do like a day's work. Now, see, I was picturing Bill in like the daredevil costume swinging around <laughs> and stuff like that. Yes, the way I am now. Not right, the, exactly. Not everything. <laughs> And, you know, like the line keeps breaking. Oh, man, I broke another billy club line. Damn it. <laughs> I'm going to have to get some high tensile steel or something. Be like, but anyway. Why are anyway. the coyote off the cliff? <laughs> <laughs> Always looking under his feet and going. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. Chrysalis. Yes. Chrysalis. <clears throat> yes. Like I said before, season seven, episode five. Chrysalis was directed by Jonathan West, written by Rene Echeverria, with music by Jay Chataway. And this came out in October 28th of 1998. I don't know what I was doing, and frankly, I don't care, because I didn't remember seeing this at all. So this was almost like a first-time viewing. It starred Cliff Robinson. What? It's called Flowers for Algernon when it was a book. Thank you. Paul, that is so uh, actually the movie was Charlie with Cliff yes. Ro- Ro- Robertson. The book was Flowers because this was I said it was that was one of my notes. None when it was a book. <laughs> yeah, that was the first time I saw this because well, I uh, yeah I read that in high school and we watched the movie in in uh, class. Very sad movie, yeah, but we'll talk about that after we okay. after we do the prize. Sorry, to interrupt. So, no, it's okay. Never mind. No, no, no. It's, it's quite all right. It's quite all right. The quartet of genetically engineered individuals from the episode Statistical Probabilities show up on the station, impersonating an admiral and his staff. They help Julian Brashear refine a medical instrument so he can operate on Serena Douglas. The operation is a success, and Serena is able to speak for the first time in a long time, even going so far as to notice, quote-unquote, everything. When she's introduced to the rest of her group, they immediately try to help her feel included by starting up a sing-along. Though initially only one, though initially only able to sing in monotone, like Paul, within minutes, <laughs> Serena, I'm not going to argue with that. <clears throat> within minutes, Serena masters 
Oh man. Sophage? Soyfage? Solophage? Solfagy? Soligi? Alright, can can somebody help me out with the pronunciation? Anybody? Sophia? What am I looking at? I believe it's Sophagia? There's no A on the end of that. She masters singing and is able to improvise around with the others. It's words. It's words. They they mock me. The quartet later is discussing the eventual big crunch collapse of the universe, trying to figure out how to stop it. When Serena argues with the feasibility of doing so, Jack shuts her down like the douche she is. When Bashir comes in to check on her later, she's seated drawn within herself as she was before the operation was a success. Fearing the worst, he goes to he goes over to check on her. Ah, but she had resumed this stance to stay out of this discussion because, well, quite frankly, her friends are annoying. And she had been made to feel her particip- that her participation – she had been made to feel unwelcome. Maybe I need an operation to fix my speech. Bashir falls in love with her and assigns another doctor to take over her care so he can pursue her romantically. That's nothing against the ethics there. Miles O'Brien expresses his concern to Julian. Indeed, Sarita is not ready for a relationship but feels pressured to thank Julian by being the woman of his dreams. At the end, she leaves DS9 for a scientific internship. Man, this is a terrible synopsis. It is. You pressured? So, yeah, she actually withdraws because she doesn't know what to do. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, because, I mean, she, for the, all right, so let's get into this. So for the first time, yeah, he, she starts to actually have, you know, she can interact and she doesn't have the social skills and he's just like, hey, baby. Neither does he. Yeah, but he's got more than she does. He's got the years of experience, but clearly he he doesn't have the the social or the emotional maturity to to approach this situation the right way. Okay, and he's dating someone who, at an emotional social interaction level, you could say is a child. Yeah, but she doesn't have the skills to deal with it, and he's just like, "Oh, I love you, I love you, oh." Oh, I'm so happy. I've been so lonely my whole life. You're here for me. You're everything. And no wonder she's like, ah, my Which God. raises all sorts of ethical questions. Yes. And, and emotional questions. I think that's and, – and we're going to get right into this because I think – I don't know about you, Bill, but with the other two gentlemen on the line, of the three of us, I know I'm the only one who enjoyed this episode. And I, I enjoy it because of that situation, because it raises so many questions, and because it just shows how, how Julian has not grown through these – Six, six years that we've watched him and and when you think about it his only relationship was with Lita in all of this time he doesn't know he's he's like we used to talk about Otos being almost like a high school kid so is so is Julian he, he you know he goes on one date and he's like oh I love you you know it, it's it's she's I more emotionally mature my... than he is because she's willing to admit to herself that she doesn't even know what love is and doesn't know how she feels about him and needs time to sort it all out yeah, but, but he, and his whole arrogance you know, that well, I and mean, you know, I don't know if that's she's the, in love with him. Well, well, no, not just, but his his whole oh, I've been she's perfect. I've been waiting for her my whole life because she's my equal. Uh, okay, all right. He's always you know. been arrogant. Yeah, but it, it, this isn't helping his case, and <laughs> it's just like you. How much? Oh, and and even Miles is like. Hey man, she's your patient. Um, yeah, is as that, usual, is that right? Miles <laughs> O'Brien is is the only voice of reason. 
Mm-hmm. I, yeah, they, I, if I have a complaint, it's that other people weren't saying to him, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, take it, take it a little slower there, Julian." Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know. She's, the she's counselor, like, you know, an emotional child. Yeah, I, I was just going to say what Bill said. If only there was a counselor on the station for him to speak to. Well, you know, there's an interesting scene that I noticed at one point um, when he's talking to her mm-hmm. after she first comes out. Blurred out in the background behind them, Esri is standing watching the interaction. She's she's not in focus, but I'm like, is that some type of foreshadowing for what happens later? Spoilers, you know. That should have been. It should have been something where he was hesitant to let her go when she said she wanted to, and that Esri had to meet with him and say, you know, Julian, you're really risking a lot here now because you're pushing her into something that you shouldn't be doing. I think that would have even been better, just to have him not be able to see why he was so wrong when she, even when she said it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't. There's think no question every... in my mind he was wrong, and I understand why that's a little distasteful because it is. But I don't think that makes this a bad episode. I think it makes it. It just raises all sorts of questions about the episode, and and well, there's other aspects of it too. But we can talk about this for yeah. now. I don't think Ezri is the best counselor in the planet, to be honest, because there's really? an early. There's an earlier scene where she, he's upset about not being able to cure her initially. And, she's, and he's beating himself up, and she comes along. You want me to make you really feel bad? Yeah, she's like, oh, let me really punish you. Blah, blah, and, blah, 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 blah. and as she's walking away, I kept waiting for her to say, oh, I got to take my shift on the suicide hotline. <laughs> I was yeah, just going to say, she could walk away. like you know, She's like Debbie Downer, and then she... As she's walking down the hallway, you hear a quiet gunshot in the background. After she, <laughs> bam! A phaser well, her, her, fire her going off. Is, her method is misery loves company, which is not really the best method of, of counseling, I don't think. <clears throat> but I guess it does, you know, if you want to try and play <clears throat> devil's advocate for her, it gives, the, uh, you know, it gives the you're not alone perspective on misery. So, yeah. you know, oh, you that got is problems. one thing when people Let me tell you about my problem. Like they're very alone. <laughs> you got nothing, buddy. I got like seven or eight people floating around in my head at any time. Shut up, man. Hey. <laughs> that would have been a great response. <laughs> but at least yeah, I'm not I, trying I thought, to... I thought the the maturity and ethical questions for for Julian were really, you know, I thought they were very thought-provoking in this episode. And the, I mean, the ethical questions just kind of go, you know, so deep in this thing. Oh, well, I got her a new doctor, so it's all okay. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, they, there is there is an interesting aspect to it, and it is explored, and it does follow on from the fact that Julian has been quite lonely for a while since he discovered that he's genetically engineered. So they're building on something that they have seeded all the way through. It doesn't excuse his ethical behaviour with one of his patients, and the minute that that's pointed out to him, he really should have recused himself from being involved with her in any way whatsoever as yeah. a medical professional. That being said... The whole point of any kind of story or drama of this is an ethical quandary. So to actually put Bashir into this situation where it's an ethical quandary, that wasn't my issue with it. I quite like that, and I think it's moderately well handled until they cop out of it and don't actually follow it up in any way. My problem with it is essentially the same problem that I had last time round, is that they're taking these three characters that could be conceived to be in some way mentally ill and just making a little bit of a joke about them. Yeah. And certainly Patrick is just lying large played for laughs through both of his appearances. 
And it's the background of that that colours my perception of the entire episode. The actual story in and of itself is quite an interesting one. Well, what would happen if Dr. Bashir, A, met a genetically engineered person like himself, who he then fell in love with? That's quite interesting. And it's his patient. What would he do about that? I just don't think they followed that up in any reasonable way. And the fact that no one other than O'Brien calls him out about it, I wasn't overly happy with but i accept it's a 45 minute television episode that being said again playing devil adequate like paul does it is an interesting situation to put the characters in i just I don't, there's always something about the jackpot that doesn't sit well with me when well, you bring it into episodes like well, that i want to i want to bring it to the jackpot a little bit because that was kind of the next thing i have is it you know they they voice their concerns or dissatisfaction and I think rightfully so about oh now she appears fine so she can interact with everybody but we still appear damaged so we can't mm. and just, just the moral implications of that about separating them from society almost like they're in a leper colony now on the one hand I, I, you know, I feel that that's wrong but on the other hand when they did have freedom they tried to surrender for the <laughs> federation <laughs> so that's not necessarily a good sure. thing either. Well, uh, but I, I, I actually think that felt, also raises questions. Go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry to keep. No, no. They, I actually felt a little bit sad for them in the fact that they've lost one of their lifelong friends. Yeah. With you know yeah, because but, she goes off and lives with another quote unquote family to I guess learn social interaction or to, to slowly work her way to some type of life and they go back to the institute and they're they're kind of right in feeling they're like well i mean they they're like okay you know now you can fix us but um lauren's like no there's no fixing us we're 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 too far gone but they shouldn't you know we had this some of this discussion in one of our earlier episodes with them about quote unquote fixing people and you know that's the whole aspect of this too you know that he they've yeah they fundamentally changed Serena, and she's a totally different person now. Now, yes, it, you know he was. They were able to basically slow. I guess you could say slow down or speed up the processes so that she could she could actually be able to to talk and communicate with people um, because her brain was operating on such a high level that her senses couldn't cope and and basically translate things back out. She could take things in, but she couldn't. Well, that was the way I saw it. Mm. And well, see, but, that's that's another issue with the ethical quandary of the show. Again, like we discussed when they did this before, they're taking somebody with what is con- perceived as a mental illness and making them normal, quote, mm-hmm. and then saying, well, she's going to leave her friends now because we're not normal. But again, and, Bashir is arrogant because he's like, well, now she's better. Yeah. And there is that element of it that is, again, slightly distasteful to me because there is absolute maybe Patrick, maybe Patrick couldn't possibly function in regular society. Maybe he does need looking after. But there's certainly nothing about Jack other than his tics and mannerisms that suggest he couldn't work in some kind of science facility with people that understood him because he's clearly very intelligent. Control yeah. him though, because he, yes, he would take it too far if he was. He would need to. what we call today a curer. I'm not saying that at all, but there is no reason at all that he should be locked up with with what they're saying here is essentially mentally ill people. He could clearly hold down some kind of scientific research job, as you see in this episode. He starts talking about the fact that the universe is going to collapse in on of itself. You would think that some scientist in the Federation would go. Actually, that's a good point. Let's bring this guy on board and start discussing his theories. 
But is that okay? But is that just a? Is that just something? Is that just a MacGuffin that 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 the that they're doing? Just to ignore what's actually going on, that, that they're going to lose. They're trying to solve something that theoretically is probably impossible to solve. Because that's what Serena tells them. She's like, you can't change the constant of the universe. And that gets them all like, like, were they just doing that to distract themselves because they can't deal with the emotional problem of losing her? So they're going to throw themselves into solving something that can't be solved just to distract themselves because they don't know how to deal with what's going on. And that's, that's the distinction that they make between them. <clears throat> Whereas she had some sort of physical thing that could be resolved, something, you know, her synapses weren't firing correctly or whatever. Uh, wh- but their issues are more on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. So that's how they how they distinguish it for whatever it's worth. Mm. And it's not discussed because she's just the guest star. She's not one of our main characters. It's not discussed how this is going to affect her life going forward. They will, yeah, because essentially what they've done here, he, he's he's created this essentially guileless person who has no real understanding of when people are manipulating her. She wouldn't understand that people were doing no. that because she has no context for it. So has he arguably made her life worse? Right. She needs to be slowly. There's social norms she and things. Integrate. Yeah. yeah. She's got no. That. And he's just like, hey, baby, I love you. Yeah, yeah. And well, it's, he's, he's, he's reprehensible. To be like, come on, dude. Uh, at least, at least she woke up with him wearing what she went to sleep with. Oh, that means nothing. This was Star Trek. <laughs> I, I think he totally. I mean, he's not like it. that at first. I mean, he's not. You know, he's not like a lecher's like, all right, all right, all right, until, all right. But, but I, I, I don't know. the opportunity. He, then he's kind of like, oh, hey. I, I find him a little bit predatory in this one. Well, the, apparently, according to uh, Memory Alpha, they, the scene when he kisses her, they had to come back several weeks afterwards and refilm it because he did appear way too predatory in, in the way it was presented. Yeah, well, I can, I can understand that because it, it kind of comes across in the episode as is. And I think I think that's ultimately my problem with it. It, it just It's a little bit uncomfortable in how it's handling this main character, which is Bashir. I guess he's bounced back from Jadzia's death. Well, I, I think he, that's, he hasn't, though, has he? I think that's one of the subtexts of the show. He's not bounced back from that. And certainly Ezri opening her mouth and saying, well, if Worf hadn't come along, it would have been you. That's yeah. not going to help him either. So, but <laughs> a, lot, a lot could have been made of that, of Bashir's mental state at the moment that this was happening. And I think it's in the in the subtext performance from the actor, but the writer doesn't really follow up on it. So. See, we're, we're bringing an awful lot of it to it from what's happened in previous episodes, which Deep Space Nine was normally quite good at, of throwback to previous episodes. So yeah, Ezri's come aboard and told him this, that if not for Worf, Jadzia would probably have gone, hey, come on, let's go for it. So that's upset him. He has felt lonely ever since he discovered that he was um, a genetically engineered person. Well, I don't think he just discovered it. I think everybody else just discovered it. I think he always, he knew since he was a child that he was genetically engineered. Yeah, but there's no denying that the character, sorry, the actor did not know that and has therefore changed his performance since yes. finding it out. Okay, fair yeah. enough. That's that's and that's in the show now. Obviously, Siddig Elfadil, uh, Alexander Siddig, sorry, couldn't do anything about that because he didn't know that. Right. 
And whether or not that would have changed his performance throughout the entire show, we'll never know. But I, I think they should have followed up an awful lot more on Bashir's mental state as well as her mental state that he perhaps wasn't really thinking it through because of how he was feeling at the moment. And they don't really do that. And as such, he ends up coming across as a little bit predatory and a little bit icky and a little bit unethical. Oh, I think he comes across as, if nothing else, if he's not predatory uh, because he does back off, if we give him the benefit of that doubt, it doesn't change the fact that he's totally unethical in what he does. But does he back off? Does he really back off? He backs off, I think, because he realizes he's overstepped the line. Because I don't think he should have kissed her before she got on the the transport at the end. Because even in that kiss, it felt a little icky. It's just like, all right, dude, really? Just... You know, well, there, should have been, there should have been more of a system when she first, you know, there, there, was, there was some issue that they didn't really present to us. And, I, and I'm curious because they did give you an indication that while she was in her, lack of a better word, catatonic state, uh, she was aware of what was going on around her because she, she had a full familiarity with, you know, the other uh, mm-hmm. people and everything. So it's not that she was just a block of wood there. She just wasn't able to communicate. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't give you much understanding of what she did and didn't know. But in this situation where she's coming out of that state and hasn't really had any experience interacting with other people, I do think that the Federation being the you know the perfect institution that it is would have had some sort of system to you know, integrate her into society. I don't think they'd just be like, oh, no, she's with Dr. Bashir. Can you let, let him have some fun. <laughs> you know, I think there had to be some sort of monitoring going on once she, she regained or once she gained the ability to communicate. Mm-hmm. And and I would think she would have to have sessions, at, if nothing else, sessions with, with the counselor. God, not not Esri. Well, oh, I don't, I don't know. Esri, but you know, it, yeah, I know. You know assuming Come she's on. competent, which is a huge assumption. I think Esri's scene in the middle of it, where she turns Julian a new one, is actually quite good because she does it so sweetly. Where she's all, um, well, if you're going to beat yourself up, I can do that with the best of them. And then she starts talking about beating herself up, but she's really talking about him. That was really well done. I like that. I thought that was quite clever. Esri Suicide Hotline, hotline, how can I help you? <laughs> oh, if I were you, I'd just kill myself right now. Yeah. Suicide Hotline, what's right. your problem? Jeez. You were asking for it. <laughs> and they do, they do try and redeem him at the end when he talks about, I'm supposed to be a doctor. I'm supposed to put my patient's needs above my own. But that goes into what we've been discussing, that I don't think they really emphasized what brought Julian to this position. Now, we can infer all of that from all the other episodes, but they don't really do a good job of explaining it in this particular script. And there are good, there are some really nice bits in it. I love the Esri scene where she is actually a counsellor. And I love the bit where Julian's all, um, these are my friends, and Miles is, show how much you love me, buy a round. Yeah. <laughs> O'Brien's actually really good in this one. I really like Colmeen in this one. I think he's really good. But again, I'm, I'm always there's always that little undercurrent with the Jack Pack episodes that they are making light of mental illness. Maybe I'm just being a bit sensitive about it, but well, that's how it seems to me. I don't know that there's anything sensitive about that, and probably I'm not sensitive enough when I should be. I mean, I don't think that's their intent, but I do think they probably do treat it a little too cavalierly. 
so in, in that regard, I, I, you know, I can't disagree with you and I can't make an argument against it. But I do think, again, that they do kind of give us the, you know, they do raise the questions of, well, why are these people separated? Because they, they have them bring it up themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, that it's not fair, that they're not being treated fairly. And I think that's probably correct, that they're not being treated fairly because all they're being is, you know, shuttled away. <clears throat> Uh, in, into a little you know closet somewhere so that they can't yeah. harm anybody, and that's fine for the federation, but it really doesn't do anything for them. You would think that they would be more closely monitored if if it's based on them claiming that they have emotional problems, which they clearly do. Uh, you know, you'd think that they would be having sessions with people to try and see if that can be resolved and they can be you know integrated into society without being a danger to society, especially since they've already shown, you know, with Julian that they are willing to do that if you show that you're not gonna be a danger. Yeah, I don't think they're this, a danger to society. I think they're more of a oh, danger. No, they're to, danger. They, were gonna, no. they were gonna surrender the Federation. Well, no no no. Yeah. Looking at and, and on, at the very beginning they steal Federation outfits and blag their way onto right. a space station. <laughs> All, all, with, all with just saying that's a stupid question, and they get all the way through just with that one little ruse. And I think I think the thing with them as well, they're not Garth of Isar. With a little bit of nurturing and care, these the, again maybe not Patrick, but certainly Poor Jack. Patrick, would, we can include him. Yeah, well, I kind of think Patrick is of of all of them. Patrick's the one who would need the most help. Yes. He would need name, Well, uh, but Jack would need Jack would. I, I'm sorry, Jack. Would, Jack, need, Jack would need a curra. No Jack doubt. would need I'm someone dangerous. to keep from to keep people from kicking his his butt is what he would yes. need because he wouldn't be yeah, able. You, I am not disputing that at yeah. all. But at the same time, Jack is the one who could, I think, function in a scientific community in a scientific environment, yeah. given the right aid and assistance. These three remind me of a movie from the early 1990s with Dudley Moore called Crazy People. Did anybody oh, yeah, see I that? that? Yeah, I remember they, that. He's an ad, uh, advertiser. He's an ad executive, yeah. And he and learns it. that um, being honest sells cars. Oh, right. yeah, that's like, uh, what is it, Volvo? It's boxy, but it's good. Yeah. Right, right. But it, that's it. They put him in an insane asylum. And he, he winds up finding characters like this who help him come up with their advertising slogans. We find the term insane asylum to be offensive. We prefer nuthouse. Oh, okay. I think that was from uh, the movie The End. I think Dom DeLuise <laughs> says that. Something, something along those lines. <laughs> You're right, it wasn't high enough. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like really- Chief O'Brien saying he can't change the laws of physics? Yeah, I got yes. that. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was quite cool. Now, earlier we mentioned flowers for Algernon. Now, I don't, uh, Andy, or uh, is everyone familiar with that story? I'm familiar with it because they did it an issue of Spider-Man with the Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's literary references yeah. just boggle the mind. I'm not, so feel free. You know, um, no. I'm surprised. I thought everybody did that in high school at some point if they hadn't read the Spider-Man comic. Yeah, just just to sum it up quickly, there's there's a uh, well, from what I remember, there's a there's a process or like a scientist that finds a way to. I can't remember if the main character, if the scientist was male or female. Um, do you remember, Paul? No. Oh, I think in the movie it was a lady. Um, I, I don't know. Basically, they they figure out how in mice. And then the mice, the mouse's name is Algernon. They figure out how to enhance their intelligence. 
as and um but there's also a um a janitor named Charlie and they I don't you know, played by lots Uncle of ethic played by Cliff Robertson's Uncle Ben, who they decide to experiment lots of ethics there. On him, you know, they ask him, What well, would you yes. like to make would you like to be smart like Algernon? Well yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but see, the thing is, is he would bring flowers for the mouse for Algernon, and uh, they experiment on him, and he gains he gains intelligence, and he actually helps them on on the project. But then, in the end, he slowly begins to lose his intelligence, and it, oh, it's such a sad. It's just you know, it, it it's a it's a it's it's one of those movies you watch and you're like, oh, it's so sad, because then he slowly goes back to what he was before, but he's happier when he does. It's the whole he's like. When he was more intelligent, he was very, you know, he was angry. Well, he was happy at first, but then he's like, you know, I'm going to lose this. Da, da. But then he goes back to the was At least he doesn't die in the movie. I can't remember the book. Yeah, I, I saw- remember in this episode, I kept expecting that Serena was going to go back to her, her catatonic state and Julian wasn't going to be able to do anything about it. And that right. was going to be the same. Which, which they kind of teased that. You yeah, think well, that's, that's, that's on Memory Alpha. They said they did talk about doing that at the script stages and decided that that would be insulting to people with mental illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were right about that. So they decided at the end to, to leave her as she was now. Because that was kind of like the movie uh, Awakenings with uh, Robert Williams and De Niro. Yeah. Which I believe dated. Oh, um, ooh, did it? Yeah, yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, because I remember, yes. Because I remember watching that with my my wife before she was my wife. And me and a, me and a buddy, this is when I was still in the service, were watching Awakenings. And they get to the end where the people are going back to where where they were and the movie's over. And me and Dan kind of look at each other, and we got like tears in the cor- corner of our eye. And I look at my few, few future wife, and she's like, "Man, you guys are a bunch of girly men." <laughs> it's like, is it crying? No crying in movies. I'm crying. You're crying. I'm not crying because we're like, you know, we do not look it up in the air. Like, I'm not crying. <laughs> she's just like, "Oh my god, suck it up. It's a movie." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now watch a movie with a kid in and see if she doesn't cry. Uh-huh. Mm. Um, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you turn into Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, that's it kept screaming flowers for Algernon to me as I was watching it. But they've done that before, haven't they? Oh, it's, it's, I think it's a common science fiction slash emotional storyline that they try to do. Someone <laughs> who all of a sudden can experience all the things that they couldn't before. And, you know, I, I but I found this fairly entertaining I, I you know I, I didn't and there was no point in it and I think you know Andy you always say it's the cardinal sin of the episodes at no point was I bored by it at no point was I insulted by it I did find Julian's behavior to be less than uh, respectable I did find Starfleet's attitude towards her since they were just pretty much ignoring this whole thing to be kind of reprehensible but I'm not one of those people who says everybody on the show needs to be perfect I think the flaws enhanced the entertainment of the show so you know those things stood out to me as as being wrong but they didn't spoil the episode for no and i think the exploration of it that we've done here has made me appreciate it a little bit more than i did 
yeah, when we because because there is a lot of good character stuff here. I, I was thinking about this the other day, like what what rating am I going to give this? Because on the one hand, there are the elements that I've talked about that I'm still not comfortable with, but on the other hand, it is well written. Renny Echevarria is one of the best writers they had on staff. It is very well performed by everybody involved. It's well directed on all of those objective levels. It is not a bad episode in any way whatsoever. It's more a case of is it just not landing with me? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought they didn't really go into Bashir's mental state at the time that this episode is taking place. And if we'd shown, you know, all the compound interest of him letting everybody else know that he's genetically engineered and how that's led, led him to feeling slightly aloof and slightly lonely and obviously learning that Jadzia was interested in him before Worf came along if they tapped into all of that character stuff that would have possibly explained why he did this here I think the episode would have been stronger but we're bringing all that in through inference rather than it actually being there you know, you, you did mention earlier, and it's one of the things we fall back on as creating excuses for them all the time, is that, you know, it's 45 minutes. There's only so yeah. much time you have to uh, to explore these things. But I think, you know, I do think, you know, as you said, it's implied, not really stated. <clears throat> well, no, actually, it is. Come, he comes right out and states it, that he's finally got someone like him. Yes. And that he feels lonely and that, that this, you know, now he's got someone to relate to, uh, someone who has his... Actually, she seems to have superior ability to him. Once they start talking about things, she seems to be, uh, you know, schooling him on on certain science. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because she solves his problem with the. Um, I got two two things to say about that. Okay. One, she's able to solve his problem with that virus that he's been working on for months, right? And you're like, oh wow, she's so much more intelligent than he is. Ah. Not necessarily. You could say that she does not she does not have all the emotional baggage and other distractions in her mind and social interactions and things. So she's really almost like a computer. Like she's she you know she, yeah she can look at it because she doesn't have distractions of every day. I got to pay the bills. I got to do this. I got to get the car fixed. I got to get some groceries. I got to, you know, Miles, I need my replicator fixed. This and that. Hey, Miles, we're going to do this and that. She doesn't have all these extra distractions. That's why she's able to look at that and go, oh, hey, dummy, yeah, you you, you missed the code on, on the second level, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, oh, I should have seen that. It was right in front of me. Yeah, but he's got a lot of other things going on in her mind. Now, an- another thing that happens is that she, at, at when uh, they go out on the, I don't know, triple date, you could say, or whatever, is that um, she can she can read everybody at the table. Oh, Miles is your friend, and, and Odo likes Kira, but Kira does this, and you're, you're lonely. She's got the knowledge to deal with things, but she does not have the so- social skills. That was another example of that, or at least I think it was. It's like she can, she can identify this, but she has no context on how to deal with it. Yeah, and I think the triple date is when they failed a little bit in the writing when somebody else should have said to him what Miles eventually said. Mm-hmm. Whoa, what you're doing here? It looks like you're a little too enamored with this girl there, uh, Julian, old boy. Especially Odo, of all people. Odo should have been looking to throw him in the brig. Mm, doctor, yeah. have you been having relations with your patient? Mm. Again. <laughs> <laughs> How many times do I have to bust you on this? Okay, Harvey, into the cell. 
<laughs> Don't fake that heart attack on me. You're a doctor, yeah, but you're not getting out of it this time. That's, you know, I, I think that there should have been somebody saying, you know, whoa, slow down a little there, Tex. But So I thought that was a little bit of a mistake. It should have been obvious to them that this wasn't the most uh, ethical. It's because they were all... They were all relieved he wasn't coming on to them. <laughs> oh my God, he's, he's finally got a girlfriend. And he'll leave Good point to in direction. Ethics aside, uh, you know, as a doctor, you know, even if they didn't recognize that, uh, just as a person, you should be saying, you know, hey, she's not really that emotionally mature yet because she hasn't had that much interaction yet. You know, Julian, maybe you ought to cool it a little. Take it slow. <laughs> And then, and then I, you know, I do question if this were real, uh, that she would have the wherewithal to know to say, "I don't know what love is," and you're going too quick. I'm not sure she would be. She would have that, you know, that ability to to realize that. I see it more in real life that that he'd end up sleeping with her, and afterwards she'd be an emotional wreck uh, that she she wasn't ready for this. And that's probably more realistic, and it's you know it's it's much harsher. And I'm kind of glad they didn't go there, but I do think it would be more realistic. Agree. Yep. Well, on a technical note that seemed to bug me. All right, why does every time she withdraws it to herself, does her lips drain of color? <laughs> Maybe she just, like bites down on a little. Just, I don't know. I'm just like. Maybe that's like just a tick. Because she's obviously not like pulling out makeup and putting some makeup on to give her some lipstick color. You know. Her, I was just like, what? Why are why, why her lips pale again? I know it's just makeup, but it's just like, that doesn't make any sense. Whatever. Another technical note that I found really interesting, they made Faith Sati re-audition for the role. Yeah. Did they really? Yeah, yeah, because last time around, all she had to do was basically act catatonic. They needed to know that as an actress, she could handle what this script wanted her to do. So they actually so, yeah, asked her to re-audition. Sense. That makes sense, though, because they didn't know what she could do as an actor. Yeah. In, I in, she played in, it fun. Well, in, defer- in deference to her, they didn't ask anyone else to audition until they knew she couldn't do it. All right. Or I, I, she- I, I don't think that's unfair. I think we're mm-hmm. kind of hitting the end of the road on our discussion on this one. Yeah. All right. Uh, let me see. <sighs> hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this oh hang about before you rate it yes you know the military guy what they do at the beginning is that definitely illegal oh yeah because they never actually say that they are starfleet do they they let people assume from the uniforms that were oh well that's That's well yeah but (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's that's one of those letter of the law spirit of the law things i would say i mean like i i just be no, no. Actually, no. If I put on a uniform, whether or not I say I am an admiral in the navy, admiral. if I put if, if admiral, yes, admiral if, Robinson. If I put on a a a well, one, it just shows to the stupidity, I guess, of people in Starfleet that they could get well, that far. Because if you try to, if I try to get on a local military base dressed in an admiral's uniform and they said sir can i have your id and i and i would say well that's a stupid question and i tried to walk through the gate they'd shoot me yeah because i did think as well that 
Cisco lets them off with that really easily. But somebody somewhere pointed out when I was doing my research, they said, well, maybe Cisco didn't report it because it just makes him look dumb as dirt. Yeah, it makes everybody along the way look like idiots. And thank yeah. God, it, you know, it wasn't somebody that had really nefarious plots or things that they wanted to do. Yeah, it no. No, so I mean, had, I. They would have had to say that they position that they be sent over there, because I don't think Starfleet would just approve. You know, yeah, we just took him and we're performing surgery. Well, what? technically, what? Starfleet wouldn't have anything because to, technically, Starfleet is a different is the exploratory it's not the governing body of DS Nine, but it is it, the governing body of the behavior of uh, Bashir and and Cisco. True. Yes, but um. Yeah, but if Cisco just but they're not in nations that this happened. Nobody needs to know that they were conned. Yeah. Even they, the people they that they did surgery come. on her while she was there. No, I'm on about I'm on about just them arriving in Starfleet uniforms. Mm-hmm. So retroactively, yeah, retroactively, yeah, looked that. Then you know it's not like okay, you have carte blanche to do whatever, do to them whatever you want. <laughs> right, you're arguing how did they get to Deep Space Nine in the first place? That right, yeah, I see. Once once they're there and you've kind of cleared it okay they're here and you know whatever you still have to get permission to perform surgery on someone well and i think he did mention he had contact her caretaker about the surgery yeah because he does submit a thing to cisco doesn't he saying i've got all the relevant dr lowe's or something or yeah uh, maybe her caretaker have been part of the episode where uh you would think so but they probably didn't was was supervising her reintegration to society right yeah because i don't know maybe that person could have said hey hey what are you doing Stop hitting on her. I Back off, her. man. <laughs> you can't hit on her. I love her. <laughs> that would have just been even more complicated. <laughs> All right, okay, sorry to interrupt there. I, I just, that bit at the beginning did make me think, I need to ask Bill about that. Because Thomas Magnum used to do that all the time. I think Bill but used he, to do that when he was <laughs> put his navy uniform on and black his way into situations. But you could argue, though, that at least he was in the navy. But, you know, a better point that follows with that is, let's say you really were an admiral and you had to get to a Deep Space Nine type of situation. Today, if you had to get to Hawaii and you went to the airport dressed as an admiral and said, I need to fly to Hawaii, they're going to say, good for you. Do you have a ticket? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. none of that seems relevant in Star Trek, though, does it? They just go where they want, when they want. I mean, you could be a real general with your ID. They don't care. You're not getting on this civilian airliner. So how did they get to Deep Space Nine? By just saying that's a stupid question. <laughs> well, I think they, hit, they hitched a ride on a ship that was going that way or something. I think it's like buried in, in some discussion in there somewhere. So BJ and the bear picked him up on a run to <laughs> Deep Space Nine. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> All right, rating. Um, ah, see, last time, well, the last one we did was three point five for the for the jackpack. That shouldn't have put your rating to. The no, 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 no. But they're not really centric in it. Yeah, I, I, I know it shouldn't, but like we often bring up. But it does. So, all, all right, yeah, but it does. You know, I mean, I actually want to give this a four because I really like this. E, e, okay, not that I like Bashir's behavior <laughs> no liking the episode doesn't mean you're yeah rubber stamping his behavior as acceptable it's saying the episode was good yeah, yeah. you can you I can thought like it was well acted um i i liked uh faith i think she's really pretty she's pretty 
Purdy is the word. <laughs> Purdy. Um, I thought she played everything really well as well. Also, whatever. Um, yeah, four, four modified uh, probes, four modified brain probes. Brain, brain. What is brain? I'm uh, I'm going to be with you on actually I'm I'm going to stay with 3.5 because I really enjoyed the first time they were on I thought it was amusing even though Andy is right that it's probably insensitive uh, but I, I really enjoyed that one and I enjoyed this one and I liked the questions that it raised and and how it you know made me think about these things so I think it's solid it's above average I don't think it's great because I do think there are some issues that maybe were swept under the carpet for convenience sake uh, or for the sake of getting this into 45 minutes so I, I can't put it at the great level but I will say above average and I'll go with three points uh, see I don't know how much of this I can divorce from the fact that I I am you know I do think they don't treat the Jack Packers perhaps as well as they could do but again 20 odd years ago when I first watched this I probably didn't have that thought so I do think it's well written it's well acted it's well well mounted there's nothing actually wrong with it i don't condone dr bashir's behavior but it makes for a good ethical quandary in the terms of the episode i just don't think they explored bashir's side of it in his mental state as well as they could and i don't think they go into what this will mean for her as a character later on as much as they perhaps could so i'm just going to go 2.5 it isn't bad by any stretch of the imagination but it's not a it's not a, a high echelon episode I really didn't like this one. I found it to move slow. 20 minutes in, I was already looking at the clock to see how much more was left. I don't like the, the pat pack at all. Um, Bashir's behavior, I found off the scale. And for that reason, I gave it a two. Calibrate! <laughs> all right, so that's what we think. What does Blaine think? You should do that. This this should be what's it? What does Blaine think of the episode? What does Blaine think of the episode? Well, I was thinking that, but then, then like you should sing it, and then Paulson should sing it. Yeah, we should all follow. And then we all do it together. You ready? I'm gonna start. Would it be better better if they did row 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 your boat? (laughs) And then somebody said it like that: row 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 your boat. Mm -hmm. Like Kirk said it. What does oh, oh, I was about to do it as uh, you were going to do Blue Danube? Right? No, I was going to. Oh, what does Blaine think? What does Blaine think? What does he think? What does Blaine think? What does Blaine think? What does he think? Come on, you should have carried on. That was good. That I like yeah, it's that. Coming in the middle of it, you can't. I will. I did, and he stopped. <laughs> oh well, I thought we would each do it individually and then do it all together once. No, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, we'll just read the email. What does he think? Blaine thinks. Hi, guys. Once again, the cast matters on Deep Space Nine. We get a return to the characters I was so torn on last time, but they course-corrected and took a lot of that out. They also explicitly state we aren't dealing with whether or not they have been treated correctly. We aren't debating Starfleet policy. This is about Serena's journey, Bashir's reaction, and what that means. This one had me. Personal confession... I am often attracted to troubled women because I want to heal them. I've been an effective rebound guy for more than one woman because of that. Never wanting to be the rebound guy only, I found Bashir's pain when things play out the way they do for him. The other three characters are spice and flavor, and they do work well in that context. 
I don't trust myself to get into more detail without talking too much about my own relationships, and that's not what the series is about. It's a quality episode with a heart-wrenching quality and an incredibly challenging musical number in the middle. Blaine. So I think Blaine is... Certainly uh, his email reads on the positive side of things. There. <laughs> you haters out there. Nobody Bye. hated it. Well, Blaine uh, is Dave smarter than it. any of us. <laughs> and you have to admit that. Okay. Geez. Blaine's on my side. Blaine be smart. Except when Blaine disagrees with Jenny. Blaine, Blaine makes things to make us go. <laughs> Admiral Blaine and I are in the same camp. So that's it for Chrysalis. What are we doing next time? Next time, an all-new episode of Listen to the Prophets. It's Treachery, Faith, and the Great River. An unconditional surrender. You're defecting. Turns the enemy against himself. He's a disgrace. When a defective clone... I'm not sure the universe is ready for two way ...becomes Odo's prisoner of war. I'm gonna run about destroy a And what he knows is a prize worth dying for. You'll be the last of your kind. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Take me to the river. Put me in the water. Rolling on the river. (laughs) I'm into the Tina Turner. (laughs) Actually, excuse me, I'm like Ike Turner. (laughs) No, you would have had to have hit one of us after you sang that. I do do like in that song when he goes, rolling. Anyway, see you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine Podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. William, William, it was only nothing. Uh, all right, hold on. Yeah, what was that? Uh, I'm trying to read. Moaning Bill. He was a character in Harry Potter. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs>